think a lot of people think about cannabis and they think about going in their basement and they take out their like three foot bong and they put flour in it, which wasn't called flour. It was just bud or weed. And that's their context. And that just doesn't look anything like the industry for most people today. I mean, I, I love a, uh, a challenge where there isn't a, a playbook, where there isn't some like set of steps that you need to take in the industry to be successful. Welcome to ProCo 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This show is for people who love Colorado and who are fascinated with stories of Colorado companies and their leaders. Success looks different here in Colorado. Our lives are multidimensional, and that's why the tagline is Live, Work, Love, Colorado. This episode is special. We're here at the Native Roots Headquarters and Training Center. I'm at a mock dispensary counter seated with Ryan Brown, CEO of Native Roots. And in front of me and Ryan is a live audience. That's your cue. Yeah. Thank you. Who, like me, is curious about the phenomenon in Colorado called cannabis. So, Ryan, are you ready? I hope so. Good. Ryan and I are going to discuss the cannabis industry broadly, and then we'll explore how Ryan leads the Native Roots business, about seizing share of an exploding market, about developing trustworthy products that aren't well understood, and about building a brand all in an environment that's highly regulated and politically charged. So Ryan, with all that, are you ready to get started? I was about to you use about a cuss to, word, uh-oh. and I yeah. won't. <laughs> we'll just I'm move. glad this is a, not yeah. a live audience. You can no. say some of the Absolutely. cuss words. Absolutely. Right, Ready good. to roll. All right. And then after, after Ryan and I get going, we've got live audience questions. So we're going to start with some real basic stuff to set the stage about Native Roots. And really, you're in both the CBD business and the THC business. So explain sort of both paths and why you're at it, maybe how you use the words hemp, cannabis, and marijuana. Absolutely. So to start, in the cannabis industry, we effectively don't use the word marijuana. So marijuana is a word that was largely used to uh, single out individuals and was used as a derogatory term to talk about the product, to talk about the types of folks that would consume it. Um, So cannabis is the uh, scientific term of the plant, uh, and cannabis and hemp are effectively the same thing with a different THC uh, concentration. So for hemp, for a product to be considered hemp, federally in the federal statutes, it has to have 0.3 or less THC. And everything that has more than that is considered cannabis. Got it. So, and you're in really sort of two businesses, right? You're in the CBD business, the low THC business, and you're in the THC business, right? Is that accurate to say? That's correct. And, right. and we view it as one business that's talking about the benefits of all of the spectrum of cannabinoids. Got it. It's obvious that there's explosive growth. Obvious. Everybody sees it. It's crazy in Colorado. You've said that it's like laying track while the train is racing along it, right? Is that what it's like? Yeah, it's, it's pretty wild. So if you can imagine... When this business really started to grow was 2013, uh, had a major investor that joined two initial investors or two initial founders um, and started to really move forward with identifying retail locations, aggressively moving towards uh, a cultivation facility. 
And at that time in 2013, if you kind of rewind yourself to 2013, there was practically no certainty that the federal government wouldn't seize your assets, um, shut you down, put you in jail. There was a couple of states that were taking this experiment forward, which we applaud Colorado and Washington, uh, amongst others. And uh, yeah, so at that time, the, the desire to move forward was really a roll of the dice and a belief in the product and the belief of the benefit, but with practically no road built. Well, no infrastructure whatsoever. So now we take a look at this year or last year, say the last two years or since since Washington and then Colorado and now others are jumping on very, very quickly. I mean, it is going so fast. How are you possibly even considering, like, how do you keep up with this? Yeah, it's pretty wild. The, the growth, I think it's up to 33 states have some form of regulated cannabis nowadays, whether it's the medical side or the adult use side or... Even those that don't have that have some form of CBD business that they're considering yeah. or growing. Um, but I mean, let's say, let's say as you consider your business plan for 2020, yeah. Yeah. like, does it look anything, anything like it looked in, say, two years ago, 2018? Uh, well, you know, honestly, a couple of years ago, uh, we started to build an incredible organization. I mean, we had incredible, talented people in the company two years ago. Um, but we started to align around where did we want to go and what were we trying to accomplish as a business and, and at that time started to make a more serious commitment towards growing this to be not only a, a dominant Colorado business, but a, a just a dominant cannabis business in general and uh, started to build the the team, the infrastructure to actually yeah. move it forward. Well, and... and I'm still really fascinated by the notion of A, you're in THC-related product and CBD oil product, and you've got a million things going on. I'm going to play a clip. Um, indulge me as I get this going. It's from a book called Good Strategy, Bad Strategy. And as you think about it, I really want you to think uh -oh. like, okay, yeah, that too. But I really want you to think like, okay, what, what are we doing along these lines? Let's see if this works. Most organizations will not create focused strategies. Instead, they will generate laundry lists of desirable outcomes and at the same time, ignore the need for genuine competence in coordinating and focusing their resources. Good strategy requires leaders who are willing and able to say no to a wide variety of actions and interests. So that's the clip. And as you are going so fast without track laid and you've got the CBD side, the THC side, and you've got a million things changing, like what do you have to say no to and where are you really focused? Oh man. And I will tell you this, there is a, when I first joined the business, the business was trying to accomplish practically everything, uh, develop technology to sell to other, uh, operators for point of sale, um, implement and build device manufacturing in China. Hmm. Um, uh, basically be deeply involved in, in every vertical and, what we ultimately did is really kind of narrow our focus. And I know that the consideration of the CBD side of the business, the THC side of the business, they feel so different. But effectively, what we do really well is great retail, industry-defining retail mm -hmm. concepts, and deliver amazing product. And we focus on really just those two things. Um, and it may feel like a lot. It feels like a lot, hmm. to be honest. Uh, hmm. <laughs> but uh, it, it's really focusing on those two things and then making sure that we've got the team that knows how to execute those things or is willing to at least 
dig incredibly deeply into mm. the work and learn. Well, we're, we're going to talk about team and we're going to talk about product. First, let's go back to or, or focus on the brand because you talk about you know how you focus on retail and so forth. Are you are you focused on sort of making the pie bigger? Like, is demand just growing itself, or are you more focused on taking a piece of the a bigger piece of the market share? Which focus do you have? Yeah, at this point, our objective, at least in Colorado, so if it. When cannabis industry folks think about Colorado as a marketplace, they look at it and say, oh, that's a relatively mature market, and that's all the consumers that are ever going to exist in that particular state. And what we see is um, explosive growth, especially in a few different types of folks. Um, folks that are, we get a tremendous number of uh, baby boomers are, is our fastest growing segment. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been almost no and very little still today products that are focused towards uh, the needs of a female audience, and that's also an incredibly fast-growing segment. Um, and so, you know, in the state, we're really focused on how do we reach folks that aren't really aware of the product, aren't really aware and don't have familiarity with all of the different uses um, all the different uh, ways to consume. I think a lot of people think about cannabis and they think about going in their basement <laughs> and they take out their like three foot bong and they put flour in it, which wasn't called flour, it was just bud or weed. <laughs> and that's their context. And that just doesn't look anything like the industry for most people today. Well, you had you had earlier a couple of bud tenders here at the at the counter and you brought product in so that our our audience could talk with them about it I, they seem pretty smart pretty well educated about it and and my impression is that as they talk to people they they sort of break down that barrier of you know is this something that could be for me could i trust and so forth yeah absolutely i mean i think the focus of our retail experience is not necessarily telling the folks what they need but trying to better understand why they're there and better understand what is going on in their life and why cannabis may be a part of what they're looking for, whether it's relief or happiness or just general wellness. Um, the goal is not to sell something. The goal is to help somebody solve one of their own problems. Well, I do have a big question about trust within product, right? I mean, it's sure. such a fast growing, such a fast growing product line and, you know, the, the question of like, is this real stuff? Is it high quality? Is it going to do what it's supposed to do? And by the way, is that guy behind the counter or a woman actually telling me something that's true or that they believe is true or maybe not true? Where do you, how do you manage that whole sense of uncertainty in this product line? Yeah, it's an awesome question. I think the most important thing that we do is deeply, deeply understand the product that not only we make, but that others make, test the product, go visit the facilities that are manufacturing them. If they're to our extremely high quality standards of you know effectively clean room technology, GMP um, certifiable spaces, then you know, we'll consider then reviewing the product, uh, taking well, and doing some quality control internally. Well, quality control from a 
okay, here's what's in it standpoint is way different from quality control, which is, you know, how does it interact with the human? What kind of dosages are required? And that seems like a big mystery still out there. Is, is it? Or have you got that figured out? I think we still advocate like one approach that helps people sort of on-ramp into their consumption of cannabis, which is start with a very low dose of cannabis and wait for a period of time to ultimately see how is this going to impact you. And then work your way up to a dose that's appropriate to you to achieve whatever you want to achieve. So I myself consume cannabis for sleep. My brain just, it won't shut down. So I'll consume cannabis. And for me, 10 milligrams is perfect. But you figured that out. I figured that out. But I started slow. Mm. I took the advice of our esteemed mm. bud tenders. Yeah. yeah. And I started slow oh, yeah. and I started low. Was that and- part of the job application? You know, like, which is, uh, well, Ryan, if you join here, A, do you, and B, will you use the product? Oh, absolutely not. We, we've got, <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of people that work for us just by the nature of this job consume mm-hmm, cannabis, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, it's definitely not a requirement. But th- there is a, a general sense that in the marketplace, there's an inconsistency in product quality. Is that accurate, the uh, perception in the marketplace? I think that the uh, I think the important thing in the industry right now is actually to trust the companies and the people that you're working with. There are a huge number of companies in the state. I think that there's something like 600 dispensaries across hmm. the state, which is a couple. And hmm. you know, with a huge number of them, I guess one thing for background, this will probably get cut out, but that's okay. I'll tell everybody else. <laughs> now you know I can't, right? I know now. I know yeah. now he has to keep yeah. this in. Uh, when the industry started, it started on the medical side, and at that time, you were required to grow seventy uh, percent of the product that you sold through your own stores. So there is a tremendous number of very small cultivators, very passionate cultivators, and some incredible cultivators out there. Um, and over time, it's, it's uh, kind of consolidated to people that are very good at what they do, like Ed in the audience. Mm. Yes, Ed. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, you know, that's, the, that's a good thing for all of us, right? Being able to sort of trust that there's great producers. Although it occurred to me that, you know, trust can help you or hurt. I mean, if, if you've built a tremendous brand in the marketplace and others haven't. I mean, is the sense of lack of trust something that actually helps Native Roots? Well, I'll say this. I think it's at this stage of the indices growth, I think it's not helpful for some producers to be terrible hmm. and some to be exceptional. Hmm. We really want to like rise all tides. And so we focus a ton on making sure the regulatory environment, the testing requirements, all of it are at a pretty darn high standard so that there aren't people that can get away with selling product that we think could be dangerous for yeah. folks. Yeah. Hey, let's take a quick break. You're listening to Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs and business leaders who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. Actually, I guess that's not true. You have to, if you're going to be successful, you have to be someplace where it's legal, right, to be successful. All right. But I'm speaking with Ryan Brown of Native Roots with a live audience. Thanks for being here, folks. All right. Right on cue. Yeah. 
Two more live events are set for this year, one with the famous chef Troy Gard at his tag restaurant on October 23rd, and in November, an episode on the business of promoting emerging Colorado musicians. That one will feature a live concert with three artists. One of those artists had over 500,000 downloads just last month, so watch for that. Be sure you go to Proco360.com to sign up for notices or follow Proco360 on Facebook. And all of this is possible because of my sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, MicroStar Keg Logistics. They're here. Where's Micros? Thank you for being here. And uh, the Kinsley Meetings. These great companies support Colorado businesses and entrepreneurs, and they support this show. Thanks also to the Colorado Chamber of Commerce for its support for me and Proco360. So I want to talk about your role at Native Root. How did you get to be CEO? Oh, man, it's a long, sordid story. Now, as uh, as every good CEO does, he starts uh, his career search by having a conversation with a high school friend. <laughs> uh, Was this in the basement with a bong that you were talking about? I can neither <laughs> confirm nor deny the basement activities. Uh, no, so uh, in truth, one of my very good high school friends was uh, one of the original employees at Native Roots, and Native Roots was growing rapidly. We were having conversations about what this business would look like, and I was working in the consulting field. Uh, and you know, ultimately, love consulting was having a lot of fun, but wanted to dive a little bit more deeply into something that I feel like I could own. Um, and at that time, the business was growing so incredibly fast that he's like, we just need smart people to help us manage this thing. Uh, I think they'd grown from three stores to 13 stores in about a year and a half, um, which is a pretty incredible growth rate. And uh, yeah, after about six months, he kind of convinced me to come here. And the reason that I ultimately came here was I visited with some of the owners. I visited the the mothership, our cultivation facility, and uh, saw its scale and and the care that everybody took and and put into that building and just the passion around the company and was like, oh yeah, I got to do that. Hmm. Well, when you when you were the thought was going through your head about now was your first job CEO here? It was not. I started as a chief revenue officer, which I um, I'll say, but I hope that. Uh, I hope that Mickey is not listening. Chief Revenue Officer was effectively a made-up title. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of assistant to the CEO, supporting him and the Chief Operating Officer to help build company strategy, organizational structure, kind of all of that. So now, now you go to family events, you go to parties, and you say, yeah, I run a cannabis company. People must all say, what's that like? So what's that like? <laughs> the first thing people actually say is, do you have samples? Uh, yeah, no, running a cannabis company is a wild thing. I mean, it's not like you sort of grow up and you're like, you know what I'm going to do yeah. out of college? <laughs> um, uh, no, it's, it's awesome. I mean, I, I love a, uh, a challenge where there isn't a, a playbook where there isn't some like set of steps that you need to take in the industry to be successful. We just have to have like smart people working together in a, in a collaborative manner to determine how to prioritize and solve the right problems at hand. And it's awesome. Well, it's awesome. And you probably get teased all the time, right? Or, you know, I mean, so, so 
you know, oh, cannabis company, right? I mean, at some point, does that just get old or do you find it fun? It's a, it is a wild blend. I definitely <laughs> have some people who, okay, I have, I have family kind of scattered all across the country. So I have some family that lives out in uh, New Jersey. And when I go visit those folks, the, the eyebrows raise a touch. Mm. And that could just be like a New Jersey tick. Mm. I hope there's nobody from New Jersey in the audience. <laughs> Um, but no, now I find it's totally different. I mean, um, so what do you think are like the biggest misconceptions about you running this kind of company? Well, I think, I think people think cannabis companies are, um, shops where for the most part people have dreads and they roll into work stoned and their objective for the day is to try not to get too high so they can drive home. Uh, no, I, and, and I think people also think of cannabis companies as companies that just roll in money because you hear about it in the news. Uh, and uh, I think that they think that the opportunity is just endless for um, uh, you know, people to come and, and grab cash and go. And the truth is it's, it's an extremely complicated, very highly regulated with a, a tremendous number of federal restrictions and complexities uh, that make this just a hard and expensive business to run. Hmm. If you like change and you're willing to get your hands really dirty, and though I don't have my sleeves hmm. rolled up, uh, you have to roll those up, then you're going to love it. And if you if you don't, it's going to be a hard job. Hmm. Well, I've been to Native Roots Retail. I've been to your facilities. Um, I haven't seen dreadlocks anywhere. So what are what what are your like? Who do you attract for for team members? Yeah, I think we're looking for people who are uh, just motivated to make a change. I mean, our purpose is to liberate happiness. Um, and uh, we have you know, some community values that we take extremely seriously. And we're looking for folks that are going to and be willing to uh, just charge into the unknown, learn, um, have no ego, and uh, just stay really engaged and, and um, uh, collaborative in the way that they work. All the rest of it, skills-wise, will teach you. We're just looking for the right attitudes. So the right attitudes are, are key, of course. You've also got some real hard, concrete financial challenges in the world that we're living in, right? I mean, what is it? Are, are we making the kind of progress that I'm starting to hear about as far as being able to run a business the way a business should run financially, borrowing money, regulatory stuff? What are you seeing? Yeah, so... The cannabis industry has some extremely unique financial burdens that effectively no industry has at this point. So we have very limited banking options. Uh, we can't go get a small business loan. Like those types of things don't exist. Um, our tax rate is incredibly high. So effective tax rates for a highly efficient cannabis company are probably something like 75 or 80%, which if you know you put that on any other industry, um, and uh, it's just an untenable burden. So it makes it so complicated, and it has to do with some of the federal regulations at this point. Yeah. Speaking of federal, there's, there's also this whole political challenge thing. And we see, we see politicians taking all different kinds of positions. Some are 
are really focused on really seriously, how do we govern this? Others are just worried about perceptions. So what trends are you seeing about where the political needles are, are going? Well, cannabis is one of the most widely supported political issues today across both aisles. So Republican, Independent, Democrats, the vast majority of the U.S. population supports uh, the legalization of cannabis, something north of like 64, 65%, which is, uh, I, I know that may seem low, but there are practically no other issues that there's like 64, 65% support from, you know, the general population. Um, so what we're starting to see, which, you know, we're huge advocates for, is the introduction of bills to help just normalize the business environment, allow us to bank normally, allow us to use credit cards. Um, the amount of cash these companies handle is incredible. It's a risk. And so, you know, normalizing some of those things actually makes this whole industry work better and it's, it's safer as well. What about the stories of op retailers that have like barrels of cash? I mean, does that still happen? I think that there are still some unbanked component parts of the industry, which is, uh, which is an extremely difficult situation yeah, to find yeah. yourself in. Uh, I'll take one more quick break before we wrap up with some other business questions. You're listening to Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and I'm speaking with Ryan Brown of Native Roots. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. And whatever podcast app you're using, will you please help the show by submitting a review right now while you're listening? That helps a ton. Thank you for doing that. So more generally, Ryan, as we kind of wind down, when you think about running this business versus the other kinds of businesses you've been involved in, consulting and so forth, I mean, what really are the things that are different? about running Native Roots? Yeah, there's all sorts of different things. I, I think for most people, when you're engaged in a business endeavor, you're effectively involved in one business. Like you're just a retailer or you're just a cultivator or you're just involved in distribution or wholesale or something like that. Effectively, Native Roots does all of those things. So we have a retail business and a cultivation business and a wholesale business and an e-commerce business. So some of the complexities outside of all the regulatory uh, shenanigans, the, the business is running five businesses more or less at the same time, all focused on the same ends, but making mm. sure that we're coordinated and doing it in the same direction is incredibly hard. Mm. You know, I, I still have this sort of, this sort of cloud that hangs over around, you know, the cannabis industry's perception in the rest of the sort of the mainstream business world. Right, so how do you think about that? I mean, we're part of part of our conversations is maybe just start bridging that gap, right? But still, how do you think about that sense that this is just like different? Yeah, I think anytime you're taking a risk on a new industry, the perception of that industry is going to be just a little unique. You know, the the book of this industry has not really been written. I don't mean I think we're maybe in chapter one. Hmm. Um, and so, to me, what that means is. You know, the folks that are really involved in it right now are the folks that are willing to get the dirtiest. Um, and I mean that in a positive sense. Uh, but the folks that are willing to, you know, take some personal risk uh, and, uh, and, and willing to really champion the cause. And I, I think that that's the unique thing that I experience is the folks engaged in the industry are all champions of the cause. It may be a misunderstood cause in some pockets at this point, 
Um, but it's starting to make more sense to more people and more states every day. Cool. Um, I've got one more question for Ryan. And then if you've got a question, anybody in the audience, now would be a good time to step up to the mic. So, you know, the theme of the of Proco 360, the podcast Proco 360, is featuring world-class entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. What have you found about Colorado? And you probably have colleagues in other states. What have you found about Colorado for the home of Native Roots? Oh, I love Colorado for the home of Native Roots. Uh, Native really is a nod to uh, the founders of this business and the fact that we're grown out of this state. And I know there's probably a lot of folks who are not from the state in, in the audience, but we're, uh, we're super proud of, of the folks that work for us. Um, just the way that this state has handled uh, the regulatory environment and the engagement we've had with them. And then also, we're just proud of the, the general consumer population, which is, you know, hopefully every single person in this audience. <laughs> uh, but uh, it's really the engagement that we've had with uh, you all that has enabled us to create better product, to evolve our retail environment, to just make this industry better. Um, and I encourage uh, folks that consume cannabis to push your company further, push the folks that you buy cannabis from farther, ask for things that you like uh, and, and we'll deliver because that's, you know, that's what we're here for. And that happens more effectively in this state than I think in any state that's regulated uh, or unregulated for cannabis at this point. Cool. Questions? Come on up. Well, Ed, Ed, Ed's an employee, so we'll, uh, but, but uh, right, you're a grower. Is that right? Yes, yeah. Step Go up. mothership. <laughs> Uh, so my question is, the way that Colorado has kind of fumbled around with the regulations and laws uh, and figuring our way through legalization and doing it properly in society, there's going to be a lot of other states that have been looking to us and to other states that have legalized and made mistakes mm -hmm. to learn from. What of our mistakes here at Native Roots would you promote, or here in Colorado, would you promote to other states so that they don't make the same mistakes? Yeah, it's a good question. I'm sure there's a, a thousand and one uh, answers, honestly. I think the, the one thing that I would advocate for for states, because a lot of states are, are following a path that looks like, let's consider some, uh, some medical cannabis, and then let's, you know, let's ultimately see how that industry works and make sure that we've got the right type of regulatory structure, and then let's consider some adult-use cannabis. I would just encourage the regulators in the states to consider the way that they regulate those two things to be effectively the same or extremely similar. Colorado had two very different sort of regimes in place, approaches to it, and it created a ton of complexity for the regulator, the uh, folks that were actually um, enforcing laws and regulation, the businesses, the consumer, all of it. Um, and it ultimately made it um, uh, one of the biggest challenges yeah. of operating in the state. So the idea that hey, if we tiptoe in, we can it just feels easier and more comfortable, but it really created problems, right? Kind yeah. of. I mean, basically, it sounds like that. Yeah. If in, in in Colorado, you know, it was the way you had to grow and the way you had to manage and deliver product, and the way you had to retail product. But that on the regulated or on the medical side and the adult use side were very different. Mm -hmm. And so because they made them so different, it made it very difficult for every single person involved, including consumers. Got it. 
Come on up, your name and your question, please. Hey, John Moore here. Um, so with new legislation around social consumption being sort of the last mile for the cannabis industry, um, what is Native Roots planning to do with that and how does that affect your business model? Uh, it's a great, it's a great question. Uh, and very much, you know, believe in having safe places to consume. So, um, yeah, if you can't sell it in the, in the place they're consuming it, what does that do to you, to native roots? Uh, you know, I still think, well, so I guess what I'll say is the social consumption thing, I think in general is a positive thing for a lot of reasons people can't consume in the, in their place of residence or in the areas in which they, um, uh, just tend to spend their time. Um, and uh, for Native Roots, I think we're exploring the concept. We're trying to figure out what, are the, what, from a regulatory perspective, is possible, what makes sense, what is the consumer hoping to uh, have from that type of an experiment or experience, and, and how, do we, how do we engage in that in a meaningful way that still allows us to m maintain our core of, you know, we're, we're a, uh, a company who really loves and is passionate about our retail uh, brands. Um, and uh, is really passionate about our product. And I think there's parts of that that sort of work well with social consumption, and, and we'll see what the future holds. Uh -huh. Cool. I am Alex Hopkins, and I actually have two questions, if I may. Fire away. We'll just have to be quick on them. Yes. Yep. Um, so the first one, uh, as you have seen the presidential candidates talking about uh, decriminalizing, I imagine that legalization will probably follow that. Do you have any plans in place for national coverage? Um, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, yeah, uh, Native Roots is actively working right now to continue to bring what we think is an industry-leading retail experience into other states. So um, we've already deployed a, a Canadian brand, um, and we just started that effort uh, at the start of this year. And then we've got some other states that we're working on with licensure and some other activities. Um, so hopefully... You know, in the coming 12 months, you'll see Native Roots locations uh, across the country. Cool. Fantastic. And also, you mentioned that uh, females are one of your fastest growing markets. Please tell me you're not going to do something pink like the big pins, <laughs> that you have something else in place for that. <laughs> well, we do now have different <laughs> plans in place. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, come on up, Steve. Steve Blackwell, actually, uh, that was similar to my question. I've always thought of cannabis as gender neutral, but you said something early, Ryan, that you're looking into female needs, I think is how you characterize it. Is that differentiation male to female in product? Is it marketing strategy? Or what's the differentiation between male and female in cannabis? No, for sure. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good question. I think just in general, how people consume product, what they want the product to do for them, sort of varies across um, uh, every category, you know, not just cannabis. Um, you know, you would argue the, the way a male sort of handles and is, is approaching the hair, hair care market um, is different than a female. And, and so we're, we're sort of approaching cannabis with that same lens, like, what are the uses and needs that individuals have when they're thinking about cannabis? Um, and are there un unique uses and needs that apply to uh, a male audience or a different audience? Um, and, you know, by and large, I would say the cannabis industry is approached branding with just sort of one brush, just a one paintbrush. And I don't think that's appropriate. It doesn't actually work like that in any other industry.
When I look at the rest of the world, the rest of the country still stigmatizes this, obviously as a class one, and people in their basements. But at the end of the day, is there a concerted effort or is there a body of evidence that's been growing over the last several years as to the application of cannabis for things like PTSD and depression and anxiety? Because if that can be the impetus, that could be the catalyst that changes people's perception and then spreads to wider acceptance. Is there concentrated efforts in that arena? Yeah, 100%. It's a great question. I know that uh, uh, to date, the body of research that's done in the cannabis industry and the impacts and efficacy for different whatever conditions um, is pretty limited. Um, And it's largely been limited by uh, government regulations, sort of making it difficult or impossible to do some of those types of things. What I would say is there is um, there are absolutely more research activities taking place within the state of Colorado, but in other states um, uh, internationally. I know Israel is a is a major hotbed of of research on how does cannabis uh, use or some of the cannabinoids or specific chemicals within cannabis actually. Uh, affect all number of things. And I would say now there's more push there than there ever has been. I mean, we've been fortunate in being able to engage with some of the local hospital research hospital organizations to to um, support their efforts in any way that we reasonably can. And those types of partnerships are super, super important and stoked on all companies that engage in that because I think you're right. That is going to be how we continue to break down doors to try and provide real benefit, relief, and happiness to people. Thank you. All right. I think we will wrap up here. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and today you've been listening to a live audience conversation with Ryan Brown, CEO of Native Roots. It's been great. Thank you, Ryan. Super fun. Good. You guys were all awesome. (laughs) All right. So now you can be the pointer, and that works. All right. Thanks for joining me. I'm Proco360 where we say live, work, love Colorado because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast and submitting a review. Thanks again to Native Roots for generously hosting us. And thanks to Proco 360 sponsors, Community Banks of Colorado, MicroStar Keg Logistics, Kinsley Meetings, and the Colorado Chamber of Commerce. A special thanks to my Proco 360 guests here. One more applause. That was your cue. Thank you. And a special thanks to Matt Legg, my sound and recording engineer. That's the show, Live, Work, Love, Colorado.